This is Gulf Coast Life. I'm Mike Canary. Thanks for joining us. While many large tracts of land in southwest Florida have been forever lost to development over the past century or so, quite a bit of it has been preserved thanks to the dedicated efforts of countless people and organizations and the local, state, and federal elected officials who they could convince that wetlands were valuable for their own sake. For example, more than 70 percent of land in Collier County has been preserved as public land. Think Fakahatchee Strand State Park, Picayune Strand State Forest, Rookery Bay National Estuarine Research Reserve, Big Cypress National Preserve, Corkscrew Swamp Sanctuary, and the Florida Panther National Wildlife Refuge, just to name a few. On today's show, we're joined by the co-authors of the new book, Enjoyment of the Same, A History of Public Lands in Southwest Florida. Nick Penniman is a retired newspaper publisher, and he is chair emeritus of the Smithsonian Environmental Research Center, a trustee emeritus of the Everglades Foundation, and past chair of American Rivers, and Chair Emeritus of the Conservancy of Southwest Florida. And Franklin Adams has spent his life working to protect the Everglades and land in South and Southwest Florida. He's a member of the National Isaac Walton League of America Hall of Fame, the Florida Wildlife Federation Hall of Fame, and a recipient of the National Wildlife Federation Special Conservation Award for a lifetime of dedication to the preservation and protection of the Big Cypress and the Everglades. I spoke with them last week about their new book. Let's hear that conversation now. Nick, welcome back to Gulf Coast Life. Thank you, Mike. And Franklin, thanks for coming in to talk to us today. My pleasure. Thank you. So for starters, I just want to say as somebody who grew up in Fort Myers, Southwest Florida, who has an interest in history and the environment, I really enjoyed this book. I felt like I learned a lot and I want to highly recommend it. So bravo for starters. Thank you. We appreciate that. Um, Can you explain, Nick, the origin of the name? Enjoyment of the same. Well, enjoyment of the same comes almost directly from the Organic Act of 1916 that created the National Park Service. Uh, And to paraphrase a little bit, the idea was to purchase and manage uh, the natural resources of the United States uh, with its wildlife and to make them available to the public for the enjoyment of the same. So that's where the uh, where the title came from. Understood. What percentage of Collier County is in public lands today? Right now, Mike, it's about 70 percent, okay. uh, which is quite a large number. And hopefully in the future, there'll be a little bit more. How much more could you realistically see being preserved? Realistically, probably 20 for 30,000 acres, perhaps, okay. of the rural lands to the east. And then there's some lands up in Lee County, the, the DRGR, that hopefully will be preserved and part of the Corkscrew Regional Ecosystem Watershed. Franklin, when you first started lending your efforts to conservation and land preservation, uh, you know, in South Florida, but Collier County Mm -hmm. as well, would 70% have surprised you back then, knowing that here in 2023, that's the number? It would have, definitely. And we we may have some opportunities to include uh, more acreage through uh, conservation easements on, on a couple ranches out east. Well, it's still a, an open question, but I've talked to a couple of them out there, and they it's something they're considering. But 70% seemed, would have seemed like a big number probably? Yes, yes, to me. Yeah, no, I don't think I realized. I mean, I, I, you know, I admittedly don't spend as much time in the south end of our listening area as I do in the north, but when I started reading this book and putting all the pieces together, and I spent a lot of time on Google Maps during the reading of the book, so you could really start to picture the geography of it. There's a lot of the county that is public lands. It's pretty pretty impressive, actually. I think one of the issues, Mike, is that the county commissions of both Lee and Collier believe we maybe have enough land. 
and that the management of it is important, which it is. You can't have public land without managing it well. So I think there is a little bit of a shift in the uh, in the county commissions uh, about the acquisition of land, particularly Lee 2020 and Conservation Collier. Hmm. Why did you decide to write this book? Like, what's the origin story for this book, Nick? <laughs> Well, I started to write the book about the manatee die-off over in the Indian River Lagoon in uh, East Coast. I was concerned that what had happened over there might happen on the West Coast to our manatee population, so it was worth looking at. The more I got into it, the more I realized that there were plenty of people concerned about this. Fish and Wildlife was concerned. A lot of NGOs were concerned. And as I studied uh, the manatee situation over here, I began to run into Franklin Adams' name in a number of different documents, a number of different contexts. So I thought, you know, it would be good to get in touch with him. I knew his wife uh, through the Conservancy of Southwest Florida. And uh, Franklin and I were actually in the first uh, Florida Master Naturalist class down here together. So that was the origin of it. And uh, and from there, uh, he and I worked together for, what, a year, year and a half now yeah. on this. Yeah project. How much of what is in this book is stuff, we'll get to you in a second because you'll have a different answer to this question, <laughs> was stuff that you already knew and you were able to sort of collate and aggregate and how much of it was sort of novel information in terms of the big picture? You know, Mike, writing a book is a great adventure in learning uh, and that's the beauty of it. I probably knew 20% of what was in the book to begin with and the second 80% came from primary and secondary research as well as some of the uh, files and, and letters that Franklin had. So I have to say uh, probably no more than 20%, but it's a great adventure. Um, it starts with some deep history. Why did you decide to start with the deeper history rather than just start with the beginning of, you know, you know, acts being passed that provided legislative opportunities to preserve land, et cetera? Well, I think the early settlers here and all the way back to the Calusa were really concerned with maintenance of the landscape so they could survive. Uh, they didn't try to manipulate it. And what I wanted to present was sort of the way that manipulation of the landscape began, particularly with the roads, the Tamiami Trail, Alligator Alley, and then among the canals that grew up uh, out of the uh, watershed changes more to the east of us. So the idea was that in the beginning, it really wasn't about manipulating, it was about managing and maintaining. So it's drawing a contrast in a sense. Exactly. Hmm. So, uh, you know, it goes over the, the, the creation of the efforts to preserve things like Fakahatchee Strand, Picayune Strand, Rookery Bay National Estuarine Research Reserve, Big Cypress, Corkscrew Swamp, Florida Panther National Wildlife Refuge, among many others. And like I said, I now can picture all this in my head like a jigsaw puzzle because I spent so much time on Google Earth. But I, like, a, like I said, I recommend people go through and read the stories behind all these because it's very enlightening. Um, Franklin, yeah. what role did you play in this book? Were you, were you the, the color commentator? or were you a uh, primary researcher as well? Well, I did a lot of research, and uh, a lot of these things that we're talking about, uh, I experienced uh, you know, 50, 60, 70 years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, so a lot of it was testing my recall, and uh, it, uh, I had uh, somebody call me a pack rat. Uh, I think he's sitting to my right. Uh, <laughs> I had saved a lot of documentation, and and in fact, I donated 11 boxes uh, three years ago of documents, so I still got more. And uh, 
this is my first experience writing a book, though, and, and uh, so I've learned a lot from Nick. And uh, being born down here and growing up here and being a land surveyor, which my dad was, and I saw an awful lot of dis- destruction uh, of special places that are gone, long gone, uh, that that's how I initially got involved, started when I was in high school. I was going to ask you if this was like a trip down memory lane, but I think you kind of already answered that. Well, I I have uh, a lot of memories. Some of them are not pleasant, but they're actually that's what happened. And uh, you know, Nick mentioning that we've got uh, about seventy percent of the county in, in uh, public ownership. But uh, going way back, though, the Florida legislature and the county commissions in most uh, areas. They did not want to preserve or protect land. They wanted to keep it on the tax rolls. We got enough damn swamp land, you know. And, in fact, we could have had the Fakahatchee back in 1922. Henry Ford came down here on a camping trip with Edison, and and, uh, he saw it, experienced it, and he actually had uh, one of his representatives take an option on buying the whole thing and was going to give it to the state of Florida, unlogged back then. Hmm. But the state said, no, we we need the tax dollars. Uh, you grew up on the other coast. Yeah. What originally got you interested in, you know, what we now would call environmentalism or, you know, being a land preservation activist, a- advocate? Yeah, well, my, my father used to say the Big Cypress and the Keys and the Everglades are, that's our country clubs, son, and that's where we spent all our free time, you know, going out in the woods and, and spent most of my time over here are down in the Keys. And so when the opportunity came to move over to this coast, it was getting too crowded on the other coast. And in high school, I read Marjorie Stoneman Douglas's book, uh, The Everglades, River Grass, greatly influenced me. Then I met her when I was going to junior college and and, uh, took a course from her. And uh, that really began to cement things uh, as far as being involved and deciding which is worse, picking up the mind, the morning paper and seeing what they're doing uh, and not be involved or getting involved. And so sometimes we win one, and we just won, won a big one uh, recently. Which is what? We, we stopped the building, the, the S, Wingate Mill STA in the Kissimmee Billy Strand under the Western Everglades Restoration Project. That's where the Corps had planned to build it on 4,000 acres of, of uh, native cypress trees and swamp that was unspoiled. And that's not restoration if you go in and destroy an area in order to talk about restoration. So people really uh, got the course attention, and they uh, they have uh, said that they're not gonna they're gonna look at other alternatives. What was the first piece of land or the first you know project that you became engaged with as a younger man? The uh, well Everglades National Park, and um, my father. Uh, surveyed a lot of it uh, back in in 47 when it was established and he was hired by the commercial fishermen at Flamingo to survey their property and their in holdings and so I was down there at a very young age and uh, we uh, we got involved in a couple of projects that uh, sounded good back then but we found out they weren't good and and uh, and opposed them and, and sometimes the county commission would actually listen to to uh, you know, people that elected them, and they did in, in this case, and because there was going to be a big development on Coot Bay down in the park, you know, that it, type of thing. What year would that have been? That was in the, 40, in the 40s, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, I've got the plat somewhere. <laughs> wow. Um, Nick, you know, there's a phrase that you quote in the book, uh, dry land is good and wetland is useless. And 
it seems to me in reading this book that that sort of sums up, you know, the, the, the battle. But the fact that 70% of Collier County is preserved is sort of a, it's part of timing. In other words, the East Coast was booming. And it's almost like, to, seems like to me that the environmental movement, the, the understanding, you know, the Everglades Coalition in the late 60s and 70, it seems like the timing of the West Coast, of Southwest Coast of Florida benefited in that that's when people started collectively waking up to this understanding. You know, there was Silent Spring and then after that. And, you know, if, if maybe if Southwest Florida had started booming 20, 30 years earlier, we wouldn't look like we look like. Is that a fair assessment? Mike, I do. I think that's a very good assessment, actually. One of the reasons why we're able to do as much as we did when we did it was we had a group of governors, Republican, Democrat, Republican, Democrat, bipartisanship in the legislature. But even more important, I think, was the fact that a lot of the land was owned by the families in their first and second generations, uh, the Ben Hill Griffin family, the Collier family. And they could make decisions quickly and easily Number one. And number two, they lived here. This is where they lived. So they cared about the place. When you get to the third and fourth generations, it's much more difficult because they've spread all over the country uh, and they obviously want to monetize whatever assets uh, their family might have. So I think that was a big factor in our ability to do it when we did it. And you're absolutely right. If we had been 20 years later, I don't think the timing would have been really right to do what happened in Collier and Lee counties. Franklin, I mentioned, you know, it, if I have the reading right, somewhere between the mid-60s and the early 70s when environmental groups came together into the Everglades Coalition. Were you involved with that directly, and did it feel like the beginning of a movement at the time, or did it take some distance to realize that it was? Well, I did not have a role in establishing the Everglades Coalition, but I went to the very first meeting, and I went to every meeting, I think, for 15 years. And it was very beneficial early on uh, because we were finally talking to each other and and, uh, sharing our our concerns and problems. It was very, very educational. And uh, we started having people, you know, uh, elected officials attend and uh, the governor coming. And it, uh, we probably were closer together back then than we are now sometimes, Hmm. you know. Um, Who would you say was the most influential governor or state lawmaker in terms of the you know, effort to preserve land in South Florida? From my perspective, Reuben Askew. Okay. Yeah. Leroy Collins was good. And Bob Graham uh, came around. And, uh, but I, I, Reuben Askew, to me, was, was uh, he's, he, he called the first water conference in 1971. And that's where I met uh, Art Marshall and some of those people that influenced me later in life. And uh, he was he was uh, he was a leader. He did what what the governor needed to do. And you spent a lot of time around politicians as a non-politician, didn't you? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Can you reflect on the the struggles of the bureaucracy and and maybe how it compares to today? Well, sometimes they're with you, and you know, some it depends on which way the wind's blowing politically. And uh, we still see that today, that uh, sometimes they do good things, other times they, they fail, fail uh, us. But we were able to sometimes take a politician out on the airboat or on a boat or a swamp buggy because I'd ask them, have you ever been out there? Well, no. Would you like to go out there? And that, sometimes that was a change their whole attitude when they actually got out there and got, got their 
feet wet, so to speak, and, and saw the area and saw how beautiful it was and wild and unspoiled. And it was, you know, it was very inexpensive, you know, back in the 60s. Hmm. You could buy a section of land of the Big Cypress for $10 an acre, you know. Nick, can you explain, you mentioned Bob Grant. He had the Save Our Everglades initiative in 1983, which I know played a role in this. But can you explain, I don't mean to put you on the spot because this is a detail, but I love this story, the role that the first issue of Sports Illustrated Swimsuit uh, Edition uh, played in getting Bob Graham's attention about Everglades restoration? Well, I think from Franklin's records, we found that John Jones of uh, Audubon at the time had a lot to do with that. And the idea was that this was going to be one of the most sensational magazines to come out in quite a long time. And he got uh, Sports Illustrated to do an article on the problems of Florida's environment. And when that magazine came out and the governor realized that huge number of people reading it and engaged in the environmental issues that were in that issue, uh, I think that made a big, big difference. That and was- that was interesting because Governor Graham's family had been in Florida for generations as farmers. Uh, and there's a part in the book where another farmer comes and talks about the fact that farmers are great conservationists, and they are. And I think Governor Graham realized eventually that, you know, conservation is part of agriculture, and the two can work together compatibly. All you have to do is sit down and decide what the issues are and work them out. I'd like to take a moment to reintroduce my guests. Nick Penniman and Franklin Adams are co-authors of the new book, Enjoyment of the Same, A History of Public Lands in Southwest Florida. Nick's a retired newspaper publisher, and he is chair emeritus of the Smithsonian Environmental Research Center, a trustee emeritus of the Everglades Foundation, past chair of American Rivers, and chair emeritus of the Conservancy of Southwest Florida. Franklin was a U.S. Army engineer in surveying and mapping who has spent his life working to protect the Everglades. He's a member of the National Isaac Walton League of America Hall of Fame, the Florida Wildlife Federation Hall of Fame, and a recipient of the National Wildlife Federation Special Conservation Award for a lifetime of dedication to the preservation and protection of the Big Cypress and the Everglades. You guys got some long titles. If you'd like to engage with us um, about the show or today's topic, just find us on Facebook or on Twitter. Franklin, you mentioned Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, and you mentioned that you know you read her book and you you uh, you know went to a class of her, or maybe I don't know if it was a, a whole semester or what, but you you knew her more later in life, right? Yes, she became a, a family friend, and, and she would come over to Naples and, and stay at our house when the children were little, and I would arrange speaking uh, opportunities for her, and uh, I remember one time I talked to the friends of the library and arranged for her to come and talk about the book, you know, she had written and everything. Well, they got about 10 minutes of the book and the rest of the time was you got to get out there and save the Everglades. You got to get involved. You know, she was always on message and uh, she was a remarkable woman. And, and, uh, you know, I learned a lot from her. I say she was a mentor and Art Marshall was a mentor to me, uh, you know, and and Roy Bazier of the Sanibel Captiva Conservation foundation who was the first director they were all people that were older than i was and it influenced me a lot taught me a lot she was a remarkable woman and she was a night owl too wasn't she yeah she did not get up early i would go <laughs> into the office and then i'd come back home and about 10 o'clock and knock on the uh, daughter's bedroom door and be if miss douglas wasn't up and she'd come out and i'd fix tea and coffee and and uh, we'd visit for an hour or so but she uh 
I've got a letter where somebody wanted to come to a meeting at 8 o'clock in the morning, and she said something like, my God, that gives me chills. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so good. Um, you know, she, you know, we look back on, on her, we hear her name, and she mm. was such a pivotal person in this whole story. Um, was she recognized as such? Like when you went out, you know, if you were around people, did they know who she was? Or was she kind of anonymous in public unless she was speaking to a, you know, an environmental group? Well, that's it. If it was an environmental group sometime when we, we fought a development in Everglades City and I got her to come over. And uh, those people, most of them didn't know who she was there. And, and the city wanted this development. And uh, I, I remember... Uh, some old guy hollering at her, go sit down, Grandma, you know, and she just ignored him, and you know. But uh, she she was a remarkable speaker. She'd studied elocution at Wellesley College, and uh, she she one time when I, I, I her first class I, that, that semester that uh, at uh, junior college it was a natural history of South Florida, and afterwards I went up and introduced myself and and. Uh, she said, well, I didn't talk too long, did I? Well, <laughs> she always talked too long, and everybody enjoyed <laughs> it and benefited from it. Uh, what, Nick, I'm going to point this back to you, and we're, we've only got about three minutes left. So um, what are the most important lands that are still not developed and not protected in Lee and Collier counties that you think deserve protection the most? Mike, I think you have to look and Lee at the entire corkscrew watershed from the very top all the way down to the bottom. It comes into Collier County. Any land adjacent to that or in that that's slated for development is needs to be very carefully looked at. And in Collier, I think the Ocalacoochee Slough and the Kamkaya Slough, which are to the east of the rural uh, fringe, are the most important areas to preserve. We can't have all these people coming without water. And I think that's the main problem we've got to face right now. Land use is going to change. It's going to obviously be development. But if you don't have sufficient water, it's going to be a big problem, just as they're experiencing right now in Arizona, Colorado, and New Mexico. Anything you'd like to add to that geographically or, or in sentiment, Franklin? They, uh, well, they, there's still lands out there that are privately owned to the east. I would hope that at some point we can get conservation easements on some of those Particularly, uh, there's a 10,000-acre ranch, which is biologically rich compared to the big cypress itself, and it's just north of, of the cypress. And I would hope that we can acquire some of those private ranch lands because a lot of them are some of the best habitat left in the state. Well, that is, unfortunately, all the time we have. I do want to thank my guests. Franklin Adams is co-author of the book, Enjoyment of the Same, A History of Public Lands in Southwest Florida. Thank you so much, Franklin. It's well, great to meet you. Thank you. It's my pleasure. And Nick Penniman is co-author of the book as well. Nick, thank you for your time and for you know shining some light on this fascinating piece of history. It's a really great read. And thank you for having us. You can find their new book online or according to WGCU's Jerry Jackson at the gift shop at Corkscrew Swamp Sanctuary because that's where he picked up his copy. If you missed any of the show today, you can always hear episodes in their entirety on our website, wgcu.org gcl, or wherever you find podcasts. Our show today was produced by yours truly. Our director today is Jared Gonzalez. Our social media coordinator is Tara Calligan. For now, thank you for listening. I'm Mike Canary. This is WGCU 
FM, Fort Myers 90.1, WMKO Marco Island 91.7 FM, NPR for Southwest Florida.